and welcome to The Revs Rachel, the podcast, the podcast of two revs, aforementioned named Rachel, discussing pop culture currently going through Schitt's Creek two-ish episodes at a time. I'm the Reverend Rachel Kessler. I am the rector of Harcourt Parish in Gambier, Ohio, home of Kenyon College, where I am also chaplain. And I am Reverend Rachel Harrison of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Mount Vernon, Ohio, right down the road from the lovely Kenyon College. How are your sinuses today? Because I'm—I feel like I have an ice pick in my head because we've—it's decided the temperature wanted to jump by like twenty degrees because we are I'm, in Ohio. <laughs> I'm doing better than I was a few days ago. A few days ago, I had a day where it was just like I—I I cannot function. And I was actually prescribed allergy meds. I'm finally on oh, no. some prescribed allergy medicine. And I was taking that, which I'm allowed to do. That. Like I was taking that in addition to Claritin, which I feel like should be able to take care of anything. And then I eventually had to take an ibuprofen and it still did not matter. It was awful. Yeah, that ice pick feeling of just, I am in pain. Nothing is solving it. And I walked to work. Oh, no. So do you, actually. So I do. When I get to leave my house, because I currently have mostly been in my, because my office, like the our parish house is having work done. So I haven't been going to my office and I'm still trying to like mostly work at home or work social distanced. Sure. And so I, today it's supposed to be done and I'm finally supposed to have my office back. And I just want to oh, have my great. office back because I'm currently trying to work with a three-year-old who wants all of my attention and was, before recording this, running around the house in nothing but a diaper and a Wonder Woman cape singing about being a superhero, which is adorable, but not super conducive <laughs> to like yeah. doing the things. See, doing problem, the things. My problem right now is that I've learned a lot, and I don't think I will be alone in this in in the pandemic. I kind of cheaped out on my work laptop, and not even necessarily because I wanted to. I mean, I did want to save the church money; that was part of it. But when I was buying my work laptop, whatever it was, two years ago, very close at this point, um, it didn't. I I needed a word processing machine. You know, like that was my thought. I don't yep. need anything too beefy. We have a very nice office computer. Um, so it was like, I don't need that. And if I'm ever going to do something crazy, like record something, I'm going to do it at home where my husband has this really ridiculous rig, not realizing that, you know, in, in a year and a half, I would be on Zoom constantly. Mm -hmm. And so right now, and I'm doing it today and I hate it. I am going back and forth between two spaces because when I try to do Zoom from my office, I'm the person screwing the whole thing up, you know, yeah. talking over people, and I just hate it. So I am walking back and forth. But part of it is because, and I don't think anybody really minds me working from home. Like, it's not a problem. But I am to a point now where, like, my home workspace has become so compromised as a space of work, you know? Oh, yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I absolutely. Know how to explain it, but. I and I and I think and I'm just bored of my space, which is funny. I'm totally busy space. I can't do it. I need my office back. And in my office, I have the option of moving to several places. I have a desk, mm. I have a table. We actually have a bunch of classrooms. Like if I really need it, there's a coffee shop down yeah. the street. Like if I really need a change of scene, I can do it a lot easier. Oddly enough, I can do that a lot easier in my office than I can right. at home. Um, although now that the weather's getting better, I do plan on working outside my backyard and that's going to really help me, um, in my sanity. 
But yeah, it's just I'm I'm going nuts. I'm going. Nuts. I just can't get the mental. I can't get the mental clarity I need at home. Possibly yeah. because like I my home environment is just generally chaos. <laughs> Yeah. Like my home is just I don't have an orderly home environment. Um and I yeah, so needing yeah. and and like I just did a whole big re like office fix like last summer and my office is just a lovely place to be and I I want to go back there. But it's okay. Sure. No, it's, it's, it's been tough. Like, like it's, it's so much of this has made me understand better the kind of spaces that I need. Mm. And you can understand that without actually being able to make it a reality. You know, like, like right. there are things that are just never going to be, never going to be easy. And, and a part of it is, is that I really liked when I would do stuff like just go to Gambier and work in Gambier yeah. and you and I would sit in the coffee shop. Like that was great. And not having that as an option, even if I was, it's not like I was doing that all the time, but, but like the lack of options is what's it's, really getting me at this point. You know, the, the lack of options, the lack of um, possibility. I hear it's that. So really speaking tough. of lack of options and yeah. living in small spaces, oh let's goodness. segue to the roses. Can I say like, yeah. just as a side note, because these two episodes, um, talk a lot about the motel and I've realized so much how seminary and I think I have no idea if anyone would ever say this was by design or what, but you know, I've said before, we lived in a tiny studio apartment in Austin for seminary, me, Will, and two cats, eventually three cats in this little studio. And regularly I look at the motel and think, I don't know guys, it seems okay. Like, yeah, that seems fine. Having having been like <laughs> packed into this tiny yes. space, um, I just look at that and it's like, I don't know, man. I have seen worse. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing, right? And it's there. Well, and uh, well, I think two things, right? It's about the contrast with what they had, right? You know, and and cultivating gratitude and realizing what they actually need. And then, I mean, I think what's interesting in this in, in this episode, when they are faced with the prospect of potentially losing the hotel, how desperate they are, or at least Johnny and Moira are, right. to not have that happen. So, you know. I desperately want to know, like, it was never made clear, and maybe it's not, it's because it's not super important, how they pay for the rooms. Right! Or not right? I, yeah, it's 100 not clear because i mean it's clear that they're paying something it isn't as if like yeah. absolutely nothing is is going back and you know they're not they're not getting a free lunch but yeah it, it, was, it is it not really, clear what they're paying that is yeah, totally she, true she, stevie more or less you know intuits that they're getting some kind of like bulk discount yes um which makes sense i've seen that before um i knew people who when we would have to do our summer chaplaincy internships basically did that you know we're able to stay in hotels um at a at a discount rate because they booked you know two and a half months or whatever um so that's that's not unheard of but it was interesting to me it's like were they able to negotiate some kind of really great deal because the place is so perpetually empty like, presumably i mean i feel like roland kind of i mean i feel like that's sort of implied with roland finding yeah. them a place to live and stuff like that so Shall we shall we jump yes. into these episodes? So the first is uh, the new car deciding to take a step up in uh, you know middle class prosperity. 
by acquiring a car for the first time since the loss of their wealth and then uh, Stevie, Stevie, the loss of Stevie's aunt. So what, which of these subplots do you want to take first, Rachel? Um, let's do the car, I think, because it's the least weighty, yeah. you know, in the grand scheme of things. Yes. Um, I love, and, I, and I'm going to treat this as a revelation. I don't know if it really is. The okay. fact that it is very clear that Moira essentially had like one acting job. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. You know, she very much had one acting job. And that is clearly the only character she can play. Yeah. <laughs> And I loved it. I had a moment. I was I was actually trying to think like, is she doing a movie? And I realized, oh oh, she's doing the character that she's doing she Sunrise Bay. Yeah, yeah, she's doing Sunrise Bay again, and I love it. Um, I'm fine. Like I love this. I mean, this episode is lovely, right? It is. It is so fascinating to see Johnny and Moira out of their element and and trying to have. There, there is something about it though that just feels so uncomfortable to me or it's so frustrating to see moira blow their attempt to haggle over this car and i don't know there is something i don't know why it's it's a perfectly good episode it's perfectly good subplot and it's very entertaining and there's something about it that also is just like i don't know it's not one of my favorites for just reasons that i can't quite articulate well i i think what you're trying to articulate is that it's it's super weird that as you're watching the episode and and i have a feeling that this subplot was added I, I doubt the fact that they spent more money on the car is ever going to come back. You know. Oh yeah, doubt, absolutely. Yeah, I doubt that's actually going to have consequences. I have a feeling that like that subplot and the goofiness of it was just there because the Stevie stuff is heavy, and this is right, comedy. right. And 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 so I think what you're reacting to is is there was a level of whiplash in the episode mm-hmm. um, because it, it felt it felt strange because the Stevie stuff was really great because it. Substantive? I guess, guess, well, it was substantive, but it also addressed some of the problems that I've been complaining about as we're doing I was waiting for that! I was waiting for, I've been waiting for this, Rachel. I've been waiting for this episode. After the episode was over, I'm like, oh, cool, that's funny. This is what she's been, like, (laughs) desperately wanting to tell me, but, but. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, in the best way. Yes. But but I appreciated the fact that both of these episodes, and, and the next episode, too, really played with the fact that having relationships with people that are built on constant ribbing mm-hmm. kind of sucks. Like I'm not saying mm-hmm. you can't do that with your friends, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you can rib people, it's fine, but you need to know how to turn it off. You need to know yeah. where the boundaries are. You need to know that like, no, some things are sacred, you know, there. And is something, is there something real here? Is there actually like real human connection in this relationship? Yeah. Right. And I think, I think it's interesting because in this episode, I feel like, you know, in many respects, I would respect the show kind of if it went either way, mm. you know, in the sense of is David going to step up and be a good friend or is he not? Right. Um, you know, I think that was that was a big part of a big part of the plot, because to him, he's just seeing the absurdity of it. And, and yes. I'm not actually yes. the character for that because it was absurd. I mean, so much about yeah. Stevie's deceased aunt's life was absurd. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, and, and, and seeing the humor in it can also be a coping mechanism. Of course, um, absolutely. And but you could, but the way it was building, where you could just see that it's like David, she's not joking. You know, David, yeah. this is not her snark. Like David, she's legitimately having a crisis, and um, you know that was that was really enjoyable. I liked it. Yeah. Um, the way that was working out. Um, 
but uh before we go too long down that i want to come back to one part of the of the car buying storyline which is the clothes right because the whole conceit here Mm -hmm. is that they can't johnny and moira can't go buy a new car in their in their clothes that are so flashy right and so and you know in this the the dress that david bought moira that costs more than the car they're anticipating buying which is like just blowing my mind like i can't even even if i had that much money i cannot conceive of spending multiple thousands of dollars for a dress and like and i and even as i say that i know it's kind of snobby of me in a different way because like if you actually hear dan levy talk about fashion like it's clear that he he gets it as like an art form and so i want to respect what people value in in fashion and so i'm not trying to be snobbish about it Um, But still, it it boggles my mind. Um, But uh, I loved the bit about, like, Johnny doesn't have his cufflinks on, so he's clearly being a man of the people. Right. (laughs) But it does speak to um, an important part of the show, and something Dan Levy talked about, is he always wanted, like, the costuming is so important, and the costuming is the way that they continue to signal the roses as being sort of out of place in this town and even as they like become more a part of the town like they're still defined by their clothing and so i think it's it's interesting to me how this episode highlights the reality of their clothes yeah that was in in a way that that i think is is fascinating um yeah i i enjoyed i enjoyed looking at those parts of it because uh, I do find myself paying attention to the clothes and the makeup and different things in the show because it is so communicative. Oh, absolutely. You know? and, and and the characters are addressing it specifically. I mean, that was why when I was complaining a few weeks ago about false eyelashes on Stevie, that's what annoyed <laughs> me about it. Because it was because, so out of character. Yeah, because it's so out of character and everything else in the show feels so lived in. And yeah. so, you know, makes so much sense. Like even even when David... Uh, helps pick out clothes for Jocelyn. The her, her um, David approved outfit still looks like something that someone like Jocelyn would pick up and buy. Right. You know, it, it wasn't. You know, he wasn't dressing. It, it, the characters don't feel like paper dolls. Yes. Um, so yeah, that that was fun. Like watching watching them have to go to Jocelyn and hearing Moira talking about um, the common woman. Yes. You know. Um, and, and just, yeah, classism is so apparent in clothes. Oh, yeah. In so many different ways. Um, um, I loved it. I was actually hoping you... they were going to go to a thrift store. <laughs> I actually thought that would have been really fun. But alas, yes. we, don't, we don't get that. Do you, um, you want to say anything about Alexis and Ted's storyline? So we have the story of, of both Ted's uh, black eye. And so a nice mm-hmm. little nice little Alexis and Ted uh, relatable moment there, and then a relationship moment, and then uh, the whole thing with uh, Heather. What is her last name? Anyway, the 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 woman who is Ted's booty call, for lack of a better term. Right. Um, what do you think about any any observations or comments on that story? It's a fairly. It was it was it was light again. I yeah. you know I just appreciated more time of just seeing the two of them becoming friends mm-hmm. again in a way that felt believable. You know, yes, dating to friends on TV to me really feels believable, and in their mm-hmm. case, it it does partly because they're making space for each other. Making 
space for each other and allowing the awkward, like allowing space for awkwardness, which I think mm -hmm. is also very nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, just very nice is the way I would I would describe that. And so I think Stevie and David is the is the weightier yes, storyline in this. So you're, I mean, we've we've touched on it already, but any more initial thoughts? Because I I think it does speak to so much of what we've talked about, both with Stevie not getting a space for her own stories. Right. Yeah. And now we clearly have a major development in her, like, her existence in the universe of the show. And we had some, we ha actually had that moment where, like, clearly Stevie is going through something and David is able to turn off the snark and say, like, yeah. I can touch into your fear about becoming this, like, lonely spinster woman that no one cares about and, and no one mourns in their death and and I remember actually seeing this episode for the first time and and having kind of a similar reaction to what you're describing of like oh okay like David's being real like they're they're having an yeah. actual moment of connection so like it struck me when I was watching it the first time of like okay there is a there is a friendship here that is mm -hmm. beginning to be deeper than just sniping at each other yeah, I my reaction to it was partly just like, oh, thank goodness, you know, that, that I mean, not the storyline is sad. I'm, I'm not like looking forward to or wanting, you know, these characters to, um, <laughs> you know, face face difficult things, but just, yeah, yeah to, to just see some reality, yeah. you know, with, with these two characters where, you know, acknowledging that this is a very real fear, acknowledging that Stevie is stuck and it's not cute, um, you know, and, and that, David does have the ability to reach for another person. Yeah. You know, to, to, that he did finally recognize. And, and in fairness to him, I think Stevie has made it hard. I, well, I mean, I think the whole bit, the whole bit when he first comes into the office and he can't tell whether Stevie is being yeah. real or not. And that's on Stevie, right? Yeah, for how absolutely. Stevie has been, how Stevie has existed for the last two seasons. Right? Who's to blame David really for not understanding that something is going on? And it's also, I think, an indictment on sort of stock sitcom characters, mm. you know, yeah. of just the sarcastic friend, you know, the sassy friend in the in the rom com. You know, like Stevie could have been stuck there. Mm -hmm. You know, and and actually sort of saying like, no, a person that behaves this way all the time is actually probably pretty miserable. Yep. You know, and, and if you are going to go that way, you either need to address it as they are here or reveal that, no, actually, they have a whole nother life that these characters right. don't see. Um, and, and the show is very obviously going in the opposite direction there. Yeah. And I, I'm really I'm really here for it. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I have to say, and I feel like we are obligated to say as two people who um, deal with funerals a lot. Yeah, deal with funerals a lot. Um it will never go like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> just if anybody needs to be reassured, um, yeah. funeral planning, the people who plan funerals, they are, they are lovely. They are pastoral. Um, there is a process and you will never be put in a situation where they are asking you questions that you don't have an answer for. They have seen everything. Yeah. Um, yes. So just, I feel like we a little, a little shout out to the funeral, funeral home. Industry funeral industry yeah, well, um, and, and yeah you're yeah. just you're never gonna be um those places they are um 
literal experts at what they do, you know, in the, in the best way possible. You're never going to be left hanging during that. But process. I think it will say the reality of being the person left trying to make oh. all of the arrangements and how overwhelming that can be is fully real. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, 100% real. Right. That, that's not to say that, that it's easy. You know, yeah. it's still, it's still really difficult. And, um, it's, it's difficult even when you have a whole bunch of people having been there too. Um, in some ways I think that can almost be worse because then you're getting too many opinions. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. So, so just if anybody needs to hear that, um, what do you think won't be on top of the microwave no uh what do you think of uh the uh, of stevie now owning the hotel i love it partly because she really needed something to do yes and you know when we went on our completely off-topic conversation about the office slash parks and rec (laughs) I think it's really important that if we're going to give Stevie something to do, it needs to just bring her in closer to the roses. Yeah, of course, right? She either needs to come in closer or leave Mm -hmm. the show. Well, and I think that's what, it gives her so much more agency as a character, Mm -hmm. right? Within Within the world of the show, but she's able to drive so much more action from this point on because she actually has like a place in the in the universe aside from just sitting behind the front desk making snide comments and as she put it being the one underemploying under yes, underperforming employee, employee exactly which i just loved and it was like yeah nobody's gonna argue there stevie <laughs> so whoever came up with that idea in the writer's room kudos to oh, them because because i think clearly like i'm i'm having trouble remembering exactly like and i didn't and i binged this show so fast that I don't think I had time to process all of my thoughts. But like, I mean, I think what you were feeling about Stevie was completely valid for the last two seasons that she just, if she's going to be here and be part of like the core character group, she needs some, some purpose. Right. Um, And so whoever came up with that as they were planning the third season, just bravo. And I think I would have been really disappointed if they hadn't addressed the essential sadness at the core yeah. of the character. Yeah. You know, that, that if she had just continued to be, again, snarky best friend type, it would have been a real wasted opportunity. Yes. Because, you know, the whole thing of her desperately trying to um, compete with David for yeah. her male attention was just no. so heartbreaking. No. And I think would not have made for a very satisfying show. No, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have. I mean, you could absolutely, and I've seen, you know, plenty of media has done this where that kind of thing is just played for humor. And the whole time it just read to me as being tragic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. acknowledging that was just so good and is also, I think, a compliment to the acting. Yeah. You know, Um, that, that I didn't see humor in that when we first saw it anyway, not knowing that this was coming. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really good. Poor Stevie, you know, she's terrified of being the person that she is now forever. So do we want to go into the second episode? Cause I think there is kind of like a little bit of a two-parter here I think so. with how this yeah. gets pulled into Johnny's storyline. So in this, in the second episode driving test, we have the two plot lines of that. You have the kind of usual break off of Johnny and Moira and Alexis and David. Uh, Alexis and David dealing with, like, David's test anxiety, which I definitely want to talk about, because this is one of my favorite. This may be... 
be my favorite David and Alexis storyline in the whole series. I love it. Um, and then Johnny and Moira trying to figure out how to not get kicked out of the hotel. Um, yes. and, and Moira trying to get the money from the town council, despite the fact that she doesn't like heritage projects. Um, but never, never underestimate Moira's attempts at like self-serving gestures. <laughs> um, and then Johnny ultimately ending up in this place of like, I guess he's going to run the hotel with Stevie, which yeah. is, I mean, which brings us to the kind of, I don't want to say culmination because obviously there's a whole new storyline opening up, but like a, a, a change point in what was laid out in all of season two, which is Johnny searching for purpose. And this is kind of the point where he, this is, this is the answer to that. Yeah, yeah. So what do you, what did you think about all of that? I, I, I loved it because I think it was an interesting blend of, and I spent some time thinking about this because Johnny and Moira are self-motivated here. 100%. Um, 100%. And, and so initially I was kind of like, ah, does that kind of dull the, I thought really lovely interactions between Johnny and Stevie where, you know, he's offering to help and, and to partner with her and, and to, you know, help her run this motel. And I, I, the more I thought about it, the more I didn't, I don't think it does because I think Stevie, you know, in bringing Ray in to talk about selling the motel. <laughs> always love seeing Ray. Never always a bad episode. Never, never a bad moment when you have Ray in an episode. I don't think she actually wanted to sell it. You know, no. I think that's part no. of what was coming out there is that it, it can, and I even thought that initially it's like, if Stevie sells the motel, what does she have? Which is by the way, extremely depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't make it any less true. Um, <coughs> by being a bummer. Yeah. So, um, it, it was, it was interesting because it felt like, yes, they're being self-serving, but at the same time, Stevie was very clearly just signaling distress. You Absolutely. Know, she's distressed. She doesn't, you know, she's not feeling comfortable by any of this. Um, this is all very overwhelming and she's very fearful mm -hmm. and of what I think in some ways is still kind of in the air. Yeah. You know, what's going on with Stevie, you know, in terms of like what she's afraid of, what she, you know is after here. Well, and I think Johnny, like, I think there is, it is clearly self-serving on Johnny's part. No doubt as a, as kind of a last ditch Hail Mary to not lose the hotel. But I also think it's what helps make it not totally self-serving is both your observation about where Stevie is um, and that there is genuine need there. And also he's able and willing to do what she needs, right? He's not yeah. saying, I mean, obviously he wants to be the guy who's going to come in and take over the books and, but like is actually somewhat hesitatingly, but still willing to do the plumbing. Right. Right. And, and I think that it, he's, he's putting in the work for it. He's willing to do what it takes. And as we, you know, there are episodes coming up where, I mean, he's, doing housekeeping work in the rooms right like johnny johnny rose pushing around the housekeeping cart with his little blue gloves on or some great <laughs> images we're gonna get i love it um so he's that, in i mean he's in it a lot of that cracked me up because and i'm sure he knows this given the business that he used to be in um uh, when when i took you know taking business classes i i joke with people that a lot of business class is professors 
um, and it, you know, which usually are just business people, um, yeah, talking you out of retail and restaurant business. Oh, right, yeah, I can uh, see that. Just a lot of like everybody thinks they can run a pizza place. Yep. You know, and 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 you know, they're not saying you can't, but a big part of it is, it's like you have to be willing to do every job. Yeah. You have to know how to do every job if you're going to be in this business. And I, I love that. I love that with the with the plumbing because there was it was funny. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that scene. I chuckled. Yep. Everything about the drip was very funny, but there was a lot of truth there that, you know, if he's going to do this, he needs to, to do it. Well, I still remember this is this is a this is a pastoral tangent, but I still remember in seminary in my sacramental theology class having this whole conversation about like the no the nature of holy orders and this like super high-minded conversation. Oh, of course. And then my um my parish that sponsored me for ordination was like literally a 5-minute walk from my seminary. And so, and I remember walking from my seminar over to the church and finding my priest, like, climbing up on a ladder, changing light bulbs. And it was very much a, like, from the, from the profound to the, (laughs) to the reality. To the grounded. To the grounded, right? Like, and, and what I also like about this whole storyline is that, you know, we've spent all last season with Johnny trying to come up with his grand idea, right? Johnny with this idea of himself working in Bob's garage, thinking his deep thoughts, trying to come up with like the next brilliant idea he was going to have. And really the answer was in like meeting the need where it existed. Yeah. And, and like, there is a, there's a real humility to it. Even, even if again, you can't discount the fact that it comes out of a self-serving, like, he his answer to his purpose came in realizing where the need actually existed and mm-hmm. not this ideal of himself becoming the next like the grand the, the next grand rose video ceo and i think there's something really really important in that yeah, yeah. i love yeah. it and i lo- and i've I said too. yeah there's so much not to like not to, but, but I think season three is really important. I mean, it's like we're talking about being basically in the midpoint of the series now. So there's six seasons. So we're getting about to the middle. And I think season three is really what sets up major, major trajectories for the, for the second half of the series. And Johnny and Stevie beginning to run the hotel together is one of those things. So this this is this is setting up what's happening for the show going forward. Um, and I love just the relationship that Johnny and Stevie develop is one of my favorite. It it may even maybe more so than John, John, uh, Stevie and David. Although I don't know, I love Stevie and David. Yeah, I, I liked how this episode played with the pairings, or these yeah. episodes played with the pairings that we've talked about a lot. You know, the people who, um, you know, pair naturally, the people mm-hmm. who don't, um, you know, that that all worked really well. Uh, I really enjoyed it. The, um, the Alexis David moment that you alluded to earlier was so good because it was so revealing about both characters yeah so let's do we want to talk about that one i think we have to we're both dancing around it because i think we want to it was All right, so, so lovely so how did you like because i feel like it also touched on some feelings that you've had about alexis 
Yeah, it did. Because it, it felt very true to me. Um, because, and, and I'm not saying that, that like I predicted the whole outcome of it, but I kept thinking as she kept telling David, David, nobody cares. Nobody cares. No one's paying attention to you, which is fascinating because it works on two levels. Cause I heard that advice about anxiety before in a helpful way. Um, well, I can get it, right? I of, right. One of the things of anxiety just, is that everybody's staring at you all the time. That's absolutely. what your anxiety tells you when it's not. You know, everyone is well, not staring. You know, you're on public transit. Everyone is not staring at you specifically. I feel like it's one of the things I sometimes want to take that scene and just like record it and play it as an example of like my dynamic with Lehman because like I am the most overly self-conscious like and we've talked I've, I've talked about it here on the podcast like I think it's one of my greatest flaws is that I'm so self-conscious that it keeps me from reaching out to people right because it yeah. makes me um and Lehman is like the least self-conscious person I've ever met and that sense of of no one cares no one's looking at you it and the freedom in that I think is there is, there is something to be said there, but also the idea that no one cares. Alexis has been, Alexis just, her dynamic with her family is that no one cares. And so that yeah. freedom, that freedom is also self-protecting. Yeah, it, it was, the freedom is self-protecting, but also it's her lived experience. Yeah. You know, that is her lived experience is that, and, and ultimately, you know, the conversation culminates in, him saying to her, Alexis, I cared. I yeah. cared when you were off having your adventures. I was the one waiting around worrying. It wasn't fair to me, blah, blah, blah. But I think the lesson for him there, because after he says that, she kind of, she, she doesn't look, she, she does. No, she, she fully does. She like, it, it clearly means something to her to realize that he actually cared that well, someone, I, that someone cared. I wondered if it could have gone two ways is mm. if she was she was she was because it felt like a smirk to me and not like mean spirited but it felt like a smirk to me part of me wondered if that was just her trying to get him to actually have an honest to god conversation about feelings hmm. interesting it. you know if that was some of what was happening if she was actually being the more emotionally mature person there and just getting ah. him to say it out loud that that was actually how i interpreted because i read it as she was it was really, she, it, it was meaningful to her to realize that, like, the smile was a realizing that someone was actually looking out for her the whole time. Because uh, yeah, we, we've talked about so much on here, Alexis being kind of the outcast of the family, or maybe not outcast, but just so independent mm -hmm. that she has all, you know, all season one, her storylines oh, yeah. were pretty much independent of the rest of the family, and that she's this, you know has all these wild adventures and is traveling and is doing her own thing. And to realize that someone actually was caring about her is meaningful because she's never really had that. Um, so yes. I, that's how I've always taken that look in the car is the look of, Oh, you didn't have to care about me. And David's saying, but I did. And her look as a look of like, I, I'm not going to ever admit that I right. needed that, but it was really meaningful. Yeah, see, that's interesting. I took it. I took it completely as her. That's funny. Saying, Finally, he said it out loud. Fascinating. It, to me, was kind of a smirk, like like she's trying interesting. To prod him into finally having. 
Oh, see if I, yeah. Genuine. See, if I see it as a smirk. didn't have genuine moments, but. If I saw it as a smirk, it was just because that's the way I figured Alexis only knows how to smirk. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. anyway, listeners, if do we have anyone who listens to this or do we just talk in the void? Who knows? I but if you know. feel strongly about it, I don't even know. When, we used to have an email address. I haven't checked we it do. in so long. We anyway, I mean, we, yes, I just I, I check know. it. Okay. I check the Twitter, too, because I don't have a Twitter. So if I want to yes. look at something on Twitter. I just I got on TikTok and now I'm like Twitter is dead to me now that I've discovered I mean, TikTok. So, yeah, that's I, like totally fair. I'm just over it. So anyway, um, hi, everybody. Tell us what you, if you are listening to this, mm-hmm. comment on one yeah. of those platforms and tell us what you think, um, since Please. this is obviously a scene that we have different takes on. And, and to be fair, though, they're both, you know, in a positive direction. For the yeah, characters, you know, absolutely. I, mean, I, think, I think these two episodes, what was so satisfying about them is to finally have people being real in a way that's, yeah, yeah, people being real, speak in a way that's truthful and also, um, to not, you know, protect themselves in, you know, all these layers of irony, yeah, which is what was happening in the past and was very frustrating, you know, it, yeah. it just made it difficult. And not to say that characters snarking at each other is always a problem. I mean, especially in the case like Johnny with the sink at the end of the episode, Yeah, kids snarking on their dad is completely different, you know, than, Absolutely. you know, well, Steve and I- versus um, David. And I think what works in Schitt's Creek is as the show matures and as the show gets more, I feel like with each season, the show gains emotional depth. Mm-hmm. And as it does that, it never loses kind of that snarky edge that made it so much fun at times in the earlier seasons. But it just, there it becomes more real. And then I, and I think the snarkiness becomes more fun because it's grounded in real connection and feeling and it's not just like a defensive way to keep everyone at arm's length but like a way of of just existing with each other yeah so i'm a fan yeah i uh, these episodes were great um again to finally see these characters um this is the wrong way to put it because it that almost makes it sound like it was it was um mean-spirited but called out yeah like like because because you can be called out just by life you know absolutely called out on um you know how they were fronting essentially yeah of of all of these are people who are needing emotional connections and aren't taking them yeah and not to say you know the show has had heart up until this point but even the scene where they're dancing, yeah, you know, there's still a lot of eye rolling. Yes. You know, everybody's making jokes, which again <laughs> is totally fine. Right. But you know, it's, it's important to know when. Yep. Not to. And, and mm-hmm. it was really lovely, you know, seeing the show do that, seeing the show have these great moments of honesty. I just, I loved it. Um, yeah. Great, great episodes. All my favorite characters were there. The more time we get with town council, even if it's just little snippets, those are just I love really it so much. fun snippets. Yeah. And they're great. Um, yeah. Really well, and I think, again, because the town council, like the people on, I mean, Bob is, Bob is whatever Bob is, but you have, you have Ronnie, who is the one person that can really just keep Moira in line. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Roland has his moments, right? I mean, Roland is not wrong when he yeah. is in, he is often like 
He's been doing this a while. He's been doing this a while. And he is yeah. very much Roland and he will always be Roland. But like he usually is is within the realm of like reality when he's making observances in town council, right? And I, I I'm here for it. Yeah, you can do that and still be uncouth. You know, exactly. Like that's, that's exactly. But he's not incompetent. He's not incompetent no. in that role. And I like that. Again, it's just these little subtle choices that the show makes that that are had they gone a different way. Right. Roland could be in once we see Roland yeah. more in his mayoral role, he could have been super incompetent, but he's actually not. Right. He's no, Roland, but he's not actually incompetent. He's not wrong in the observances that he makes in those town council scenes. And again, I think that's just a clever choice on the part of the show. Um, yeah, yeah. With a character that is, I mean, Roland is still everyone's least favorite character. If you ask any Schitt's Creek fan, they're probably going to tell you that Roland is their least favorite character. But, you know, it, it, it salvages him a bit. Well, and, and I have to say, too, that you know, season one with Roland, I just, every time he was on screen, I was just like, oh. Yeah. And, and they've managed, partly I think because the ensemble has won. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but they've still, I, I don't have that reaction anymore. Yeah. You know, the immediate knee-jerk reaction of, oh no, it's Roland. Yeah. Uh, again, usually partly because he's often being paired with Jocelyn or yep. the other members of town council and that really helps, you know. I think it's right, yeah. the character is a bit much. Uh, they start learning how to use to him a, a bit better. I think they just... I, well, no, that's what I think as the show goes on, they're finding where Roland right. is not... It's not him digging his hand around in a fondue pot. Oh, that's just, literally oh, what I was picturing. Oh, was oh, about it. Oh, it grosses yes, me out absolutely. so much. Oh, also, I have to point out, because it's me and I have to, um, I'm very glad that Alexis doesn't like contouring. I don't oh. know why it always yes. is bad. I don't yeah. at me. I don't care. It does. Um Unless you're on stage. I'm so it's sad that idea. Sailor J took her YouTube channel down, but her Contouring 101 was such a piece of art on the internet. Does anyone out there <laughs> remember Sailor J from like two years ago on YouTube and her Contouring 101? Yeah. Don't let the men know we have nostrils. Like, <laughs> it's, oh, it's so good. It's just, it was one of the greatest uh, things YouTube ever. But, it's um, bad. it was great. So. Love your face. It doesn't need to change. Um, um, that's not what makeup is for. All right, so I think that's what we have for this week. Next week so. we'll do three episodes because we're trying yes. to book it through season three. Um, or not book it through season three. Well, but just we, for the sake of balance. For the sake of balance so we don't end up with a weird, odd episode out at the end. Um, well, and I, I think as we learned, too, with the um, uh, finale, we're going to want to sum up the whole season. Yes, so the exactly. The finale episode might as well be... Its own episode, anyway. yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. So... That's where we are. Love it. Love it. Um, so, uh, again, you can find us on the interwebs, maybe, uh, Rev yeah. Rachel at Twitter and uh, Anchor, Spotify, all of the all of the places. And um, you could email us, therevsrachel at gmail.com. Yes. And I think that's what we got. Yeah. Enjoy. That's it. Fun episodes. Lots of heart. I love it. Good stuff. Have a Have a good afternoon. Enjoy the beautiful day. 